Welcome to the world of Rex. I am Marvel A. Rex, and this is my world. It is also your world. In this podcast, we will discuss any and every topic imaginable, from socioeconomic political theory and philosophy to gender clowning to the occult sciences, y'all. It's going to be a wild ride. Strap in. Marvel A-Rex? Well, I am a true renaissance person. I do a little bit of everything. I am an artist, first and foremost, an actor, a writer, director, producer, philosopher, and yes, a cult practitioner. I am an astrologer of over 15 years, I am a student of the I Ching, and I am experimenting with my human design. And on that note, I deeply hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the world of of Rex. Yeehaw! Welcome to the World of Rex. It is the week of April 11th to the 18th. Before I dive into the weekly weather, the energies uh, that I love to study, please check me out on Linktree. I have a live show coming up in New York City on April 16th at 8 p.m. at the Chelsea Music Hall. So if you are in New York City, please come and see me. I'll be live on stage with a bunch of other amazing performance artists and comedians. It's going to be a comedy show. You can find all that information on Linktree, which is linktr.ee slash marvelarex, M-A-R-V-A-L-A-R-E-X. So come and check me out in New York City. I love it. Before we dive into the injuries, last thing I want to say is Sid Ballou is my guest today, and I am honored to have him on. We are going to be talking to Sid uh, right after I do my energy report, and uh, please stick around for that. It's going to be a very juicy conversation and quite a different conversation than the last couple of interviews I've done. So, you know, love the dynamism of this month, love the dynamism of Aries energy, and Sid is an Aries, so we are going to have a awesome dynamic, fiery conversation. Stay tuned for that. All right. So let's start with the week of April 11th to the 18th. I realized like last week I was talking a lot about Madison. and I talked a lot about Saturn and Mars. We were talking about planets that tend to be really heavy. Even in other occult practices that I look at that don't deal with planets, there was this energy of crisis. Now that's still present. It's not that it's completely gone, but this week, April 11th to the 18th, there's actually like a lot of amenable energy, artistic, loving, sensual, even libidinal energy. It's really activated this week, which I love. I kind of, in my notes, was like, ooh, this is like a mood lighting kind of a week. There's a softer quality to it, and there's there's like a solution-oriented quality. The energy present is one about bonding. So that's really nice, because last week we had an energy that was more about boundaries, which is always a kind of a disruption. There's a disruption when boundaries are put. Not that that's good or bad. Boundaries are really incredible, as we've discussed. But there was this like, here's a no. Some, most of us received some sort of a no or felt an energy of like isolation or insulation. Uh, and this week is much more, there's a lot more lubrication available, which is great. And the good news is that I love, this week is a preview of kind of the entire summer because there's an element to the entire summer 
around bonding, coming back together, fluidity, love. Like I know it's going to sound very flower child, but there, this energy is present all summer and at least, especially, especially May, which is this like blooming season of spring, right? As we enter into summer. So I'm so happy that this energy is present because it's going to help potentially ameliorate or at least mitigate some of the bigger, heavier lifts that each of us has to do in our lives. You know, we each have a heavy lift this year in terms of letting go of habits that no longer serve us, letting go of relationships that no longer serve us. This energy that is becoming more illuminated between the week of April 11th and 18th is here to say, you know what? There is a lot of love in the world and it is dependent on how you perceive it. And if you decide to let yourself sink into it and like believe in magic, there is, it's, this is such a dreamy, flowery, magical energy. It's extremely artistic. Again, extremely libidinal. I love it. The shadow side of it, because I'm going to give you that every time, is that it can be way too far over the edge or way too deep into the rabbit hole. So keep in mind in your life, like the thing that you're feeling a lot of emotion around, pay attention to that thing and make sure, even if it's like good emotion, even if you're feeling like so in love with somebody or you're feeling so upset with somebody or you're feeling so upset at a situation, know that there's sort of like an amped up emotional quality to the entire summer. So be mindful about that and look at that, those places where you're feeling extremes of emotion. There's something like there's a kernel there for you to learn and integrate, but it might not be the quote unquote truth that you are seeing in the moment. This is the rose colored glasses energy. And it's actually, this energy has not been present since 1856, which was um, fun fact, the year that Sigmund Freud was born. So we're seeing an energy that hasn't been present for a long time. And somehow, you know, Freud's in there, of course. He always makes it in there. How does he always do that? So just know that this is a very rare occurrence archetypally. It has to do with high emotional volatility or high emotions in general. So it has to do with high emotions. It has to do with romance, art, dreams, creation, pregnancy. Like this is such big, like like liquid, goo, syrupy, honey, sensual, all the things. This is amazing energy for artists of all kinds. And I want to actually define artist here because a lot of people hear artists on a podcast and they go, well, I'm not an artist, so I don't really, I'm not going to listen to that. Because we have an idea that an artist is someone who is, a, is like a self-proclaimed artist with a capital A. Now, there are so many different kinds of artists. I have worked in a m- many different fields. I'm going to give you a few examples. I've worked as a professional chef. Chefs are artists, hands down. You know, I worked in a five-star restaurant and my, my CDC, my chef de cuisine, although he did not call himself an artist, he was absolutely a food artist. It was incredible watching him deconstruct a peanut butter and jelly and make it into this wild, you know, pine nut butter insane thing that was delicious and, and looked pretty, pretty out there. A, I've worked in horticulture. Uh, I've worked with people who grow plants. I've worked in the weed industry, the marijuana industry. That's all it's, I mean, growing plants is an art form. You know, there's folks out in the world who literally grow trees for a living. My partner's cousin grows trees for a living and plants for a living. And that is an art form. So I, I just want to say these things so that you can open up your perception of what an artist is and allow yourself to be an artist. I mean, really, you should be allowing yourself to be an artist your whole life, but definitely this year. This year has such a potent 
artistic, creative, generative energy. You know, the most literal translation of this is creating a baby or creating new life or, or supporting new life. But then the expanded definition of this is creating, you know, building something in your building something in your home or um, doing a, pr- a new project or building, creating a new relationship. Like even relationships are an art form. Uh, I know a few, a few people who are really falling in love right now, and that is part of this energy. Again, the flip side of it is like, yes, feel the feelings, go into it. And also, be. this is not necessarily the best like long-term planning energy. This is just so much the like, um, this is the Romeo and Juliet energy of like, I love you. But then let's, my advice is like, you know, potentially don't have the like, dual suicide at the end right like be really don't try to go too deep down the rabbit hole with it and just let yourself be in the love of it without making big life-altering decisions those are going to already kick in in april and may regardless just be mindful that you're not like oh yeah i'm just going to sign away i'm just going to sign this and and do this and move in with this person sure maybe and 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 honestly for the astrologers out there great transit chart in a lot of ways (laughs) Um, especially for long-term love, because we got the nodes in Taurus and Scorpio. This is long-term love, baby. Um, but you know, again, I'm, I'm always going to give the balance perspective things. It's very easy to ignore red flags at this time because it's so mad hatter energy. It's like, yes, it looks great. It's awesome. Like we just put something in the fruit punch. It's great. Oh, it feels so good. And it's going to last all summer. So if we know that this love energy is available, that's great because it's going to help with all the heaviness of the world of like the more serious side of what's happening energetically and archetypally, you know, I, on a very uh, mundane level, this is definitely the energy of like getting lost in a druggy haze. And I spoke in my first episode about addiction and navigating behaviors that ultimately undo the self. So just be mindful about the ways that you are deciding to undo yourself at a time when you actually need to be really deep in the body and really deep in the self. That is so much the work this year is to be really deep in the body and be really deep in the self. And we're in Aries season, which is all about self-assertion, being yourself and loving yourself, accepting yourself and moving with yourself, moving forward with yourself first, carrying yourself first. I took a somatics dance class years ago, like maybe a decade ago, and the woman had us walk with our hips first. She had us walk with all different parts of our body. But when we walked with, she was like, walk with your hips first walk with your head first, walk with your feet first. And it's such an interesting practice. If you are walking around a city or walking around your town right now, or just walking around in general, try walking with different parts of your body, quote unquote, first. When you walk with your hips first, it's like you're in, you're in the center of gravity right there. And it is so powerful and it can affect you psychically and it can affect you psychologically too. When you walk with your hips, cause you're like, here I am. Like I'm really in it. I'm in my body. It's a little bit of a swagger, I should say. So that's kind of the energy of this, of this time. And there's so much love. There's so much potential for healing conversations or for sparking up new love or new romance, new art projects, new collaborative projects, um, things that can get really, really big. And again, an excellent time for artistry, which is just generative. It's just making work. Make work in whatever way that means to you. And and go big. And also be mindful of like, am I is this long term sustainable big? You know? And if you if you are taking a risk, 
okay. Like that's life. That's you're in your lane. You know, uh, Madison Renee Knapp said last time, there's no right way to live. There's no wrong way to die. You know? And I love that. I think that that's also like perfect. So be creative, be spiritual, dance, read poetry, watch movies. Um, a really great movie that describes this energy archetypally in a lot of ways is Everything Everywhere All at Once. I went and saw that in theaters. It was a phantasmagoric, life-altering experience to watch that movie. And that's the power of this archetypal energy right now. It's so psychedelic. You know, I was completely sober, but I was just like, this is the most, this is, I've never been in a movie. I actually, I'm going to give a little example. Halfway through the movie, I tried to unstrap myself from my seat because I thought I was so on the ride of the movie that I thought I was strapped in to my seat at the movie theater, which has never happened to me before. I was like, how do I unstrap? Oh, I'm not strapped in, but I feel strapped in. So go and indulge in art. Go and indulge in, um, again, movies, things that are escape escapism. But Again, in balance. This is always, I'm always going to say this like a broken record, in balance. So yeah, take hold of this energy. Again, hasn't been here since 1856. Um, following your dreams and really believing in your dreams is huge. And I think great homework to do this week is to spend some time asking yourself, what are the things I really, like, really desire? What do I really want to do? What do I really dream about? What, what is like an artistic project that I haven't given myself permission to do? What is that? And follow that, like start to write it out. That's a great piece of homework is like write it out or vision it or like um, talk to somebody about it and just start to play with the idea of it, especially if it's generative, especially if it's giving to the collective and, and sharing yourself with the collective. That's just so powerful right now. There are some health aspects this week. Um, I don't generally talk about this, but I thought I'd bring it up. It's a good time to just make sure that you are taking extra care of the body. And if anything comes up to really get it looked at, I always want to mention that when I see health aspects, part of this health aspect is just also like, um, mental hygiene, cleaning up thought patterns and also cleaning up your physical space, which affects your thoughts. So spring cleaning, I know it's cliche, but great week to do some spring cleaning and decluttering decluttering your body, maybe taking, you know, a break from heavier foods or taking a break from, you know, whatever you need to take a break from or limiting was, is great to kind of clean it out, uh, cleaning out the home. And again, this is all me really, I'm focusing on trying to prepare everybody for this April uh, 20th to May 20th timeframe that's going to get really, really hot. So the more you can prepare, we're really close to this time period. And the more you can like simplify in your life and let go of things, the more that the dream is going to come in, the more that the like phantasmagorical je ne sais quoi, the magic can come into your life. Now there is a full moon, I want to say. There's a full moon Friday through the weekend, basically. It's going to be really, really active at the end of the week. This is the, uh, that's when I'm performing, the 16th to the 18th. Of course, I'm performing on a full moon. I am a werewolf. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a bit it's a bit dicey um, of a full moon. It's it's a, a little bit of an uncomfortable full moon. Not all full moons are in an uncomfortable position, but this one has a few uh, challenging components to it. Just where it's placed in the sky, communication could be misconstrued or or broken down at this time. There's a little bit of foot and mouth energy or just power dynamics present. Uh, with everything going on, especially when I'm looking at how emotional this summer is going to be, this is like hot girl summer times a million because it's just so sexy and emotional. When things are sexy and emotional, they also can be dramatic. So be really careful about 
you know, am I living, am I adding fuel to the telenovela? Like, does it have to be a telenovela? So keep in mind Friday through the weekend, if you're like adding flame to the fire or just need to take a step back and process, this is very much about one-on-one dynamics, partnerships. So, you know, again, I'm going to bring this up. If you feel like you need to tell somebody something Friday through the weekend and you're like, you know what? I got to tell them right now. I would just take a moment and be like, do they need to hear that right now? Can you wait to share this information with them? Can you approach it, you know, a week from now? Um, You know, clip season is going to be a whole thing. It's going to be amped up all the way through till basically early June. But this full moon in Libra, things can just feel really full on and really emotional in the partnership realm. Partnership can be love romance, but it can also just be people that you are very close to and intimate with of any variety, any kind. It, things will be illuminated. Like if you've been enabling a person or enabling a situation, there can be a shock element here where it's like, oh, I see it in a way now that feels really intense. Um, there could be dynamics around secrets, uh, dynamics around, again, like I said, power, money. Um, it's all breakthrough energy at the end of the day. Like whatever is illuminated on the weekend the, around your partnerships and how you navigate partnerships, it's all really good for you. Like it's information to be like, this is how I need to be a better partner. And we're all partners in our life because we're all, <laughs> we're all interpersonal beings. We all have relationships. So this is just universal nuggets of wisdom. Like the universe is coming in this weekend and saying, here's a place where you need to grow. Here's a place where you need to learn. This is the information. It just might come in a little bit. The landing could be a little rocky. There could be some turbulence coming down from the, you know, to the landing. So again, I love breakthrough energy. Some, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a masochist sometimes as the, for the folks who know me. So I'm a little bit like, bring it on. Like, I'll, I'll see what I learn. <laughs> Not everyone's going to feel that way. But know that that's coming up. Underneath all of that is themes of parent-child dynamics being illuminated as well. So even if you are not having a direct uh, correspondence to a child or a parent, all of your relationships may show a sort of dynamic of like, oh, I need to reparent myself in this relationship, or oh, I am parenting this person, and am I consensually parenting them, or am I just doing it on default? These are all big questions that are going to come up. Uh, there's so there's a lot of potential for inner child wounding available throughout the week and especially the weekend it also could be your inner child and that's getting a little bit caught by your internalized adult what i call an internalized adult voice which is your sort of like these are the rules don't feel things like shutting the inner child down which we are all taught to do capitalism loves to shut the inner child down because if your inner child's shut down you're disconnected from your joy And if you're disconnected from your joy, you're not going to question how stupid capitalism is. (laughs) So this is also a good week to try to catch your internalized adult voice that is saying no to your inner child or is berating yourself or berating your inner child or setting rules, questioning those a little bit. And this weekend, there will be an illumination on the way that you are communicating internally and the way you are communicating externally to all the people close to you, including yourself, right? Okay. I would say overall, stay with the cycle this week. Be in the emotions of it. Be making art in some way, shape, or form. And just engaging in joy. Engaging in joy is so powerful this week and all the way through until June 20th. Or uh, 
May 20th, but all the way until early June. So this is a great time to just get to know with intimacy your desires, get to know with intimacy uh, the places that you desire change in your life and just look at them and be with them and sit with them and, and sit with the somatic or bodily sensations that come up for you as you're imagining your desires or as you're imagining the changes that you desire. Take notes, follow what feels right in your body. So much of this uh, archetypal energy is like in the body. And I know I'm going to sound again, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I keep just saying every episode is like be in the body, be in the body, be in the body. The Even for the folks I was I'm going to have someone on the podcast who talked about like star child star seed energy, which is this idea of like people or beings that are incarnating now into human form that are uh, otherworldly, essentially. This is um, an idea that she shares in with other people. And I found it fascinating to listen to and to receive because I was like, I, you know, I've had my own journey with my body and I've had moments of feeling like, oh yeah, being in a human form often feels actually uncanny to me. There's an uncanniness to the human form, um, specifically for me, like body hair and, uh, even my hands and my, my feet, these, these things are a little uncanny to me. They're, they're almost alien, which might sound weird, but that was something that she sort of said that I resonated with. I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, and I'm not even arguing that I'm an otherworldly being that is in the human form. I'm just saying, like, I understand the uncanniness of being in the human form. And yet she said something right after that where she's like, it's so important to be in the physical body because this is where the magic, it's the conduit for which the magic can happen. It's the conduit for which the love can happen in your life. So the more you can really get in touch with your physicality, with your stomach, with your gut. There's so many neural pathways and networks in your gut in and of itself. So like putting your hand on your belly, breathing, feeling the feelings, really feeling the feelings. I mean, this is such, the portal is so open right now for deep, profound um, somatic psychedelic experiences without drugs. You don't need drugs right now. Like I look at this archetypal energy. I'm like, nobody needs any drugs. I mean, people are going to be doing them for sure, but nobody needs them because the energy, the energy in the air is psychedelic. So just be present and you'll experience it. And it will be ethereal and otherworldly. And it will help again, mitigate all of this intense, um, just deeply shifting, uh, societal energy, the way that the society is crumbling, the way that structures are crumbling is just so somber. And so this is a nice, beautiful counterpoint. And I think it's right on time. So take that into the week. I hope that was helpful. We are now going to have Sid Baloo on and we are going to talk about all sorts of things, including Sid's journey and the entertainment industry. So strap in, get ready and enjoy. Okay, everybody, we are here with Sydney Baloo. Did I say your name correct? You did. Well Ooh, done. Yes. Uh, you didn't even ask. Uh, so I'm, I'm very impressed already. <laughs> yes. With Sydney Ballou, I am honored to be here with him. He is a staff writer on the CW's new show, Tom Swift. He has written a lot about the New York City ballroom scene, which I'm so excited to hear more about. He is writing a book chronicling the history and evolution of New York City's ballroom scene and also working on the pilot, chronicling his history in Paris's ballroom scene. So this is so exciting to have you on. Sid, say hi. Is there anything else you want to share about yourself before we dive into all the juicy things we're going to talk about? 
Oh, no, I think you you hit on a lot of things. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about, I'm, def- I'm in the House of Extravaganza. And uh, for folks who don't know, I vogue, I've thrown balls, I've walked balls, I've DJed balls. I've been doing all that good stuff. And yeah, I'm just so excited to be here. So it's such a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Sid. I want to, since so many different people listen to this podcast um, from all different areas and walks of life, will you give a brief description of ballroom? Just like however yeah. you want to describe it. Yeah, sure. So the ballroom scene, I mean, uh, it's an incredible community. I like to think about it as competitive artists or artistic competitors. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really is because yes. basically what happens at a ball, ball is a huge event where people in what we call houses, which are kind of like teams slash families, they compete in different categories like runway or realness or voguing. Um, and they compete for cash prizes and trophies and of course, bragging rights. And, uh, it's a tradition that has been going on for quite some time. It, it, even goes back literally like to the 19th century in New York City. And there's a lot of really cool fun facts, but um, yeah, it's kind of an outshoot of the drag scene, I would say in the 1960s mm. in New York. And it has since kind of flourished. So if you've heard of Madonna's Vogue, that's that's definitely the ballroom scene. We created Voguing um, and Paris is Burning is like the most sort of comprehensive documentary to date. and. If you've seen Pose or the show that I worked on as a co-EP legendary, uh, that's yes, another that's legendary. another one where, uh, yeah, you can see a lot of the community on display. Yes. Oh, Sid, I'm so excited for these this book, too, and, you know, this pilot concept, like, just bringing more of that out there. Um, and also because I've seen Paris's Paris is Burning is phenomenal. Everyone must must see yes. Paris is Burning. But there's a few documentaries floating around, like Kiki and other yes. documentaries that are good in some ways, but also are from often like a white lens. So it'll be Mm. really interesting to see more of what you're working on and coming in and bringing ballroom in through a less mediated um, lens, you know? Yeah, first person accounts. I mean, I'm all about that. My my research and my work is all about oral history. So we could talk more about that too. Amazing. (laughs) Oh, so exciting. Um, Before we dive in, to all of the things I would love to hear more about just you know where you're coming from um and like I'm so curious this the energy I you know I'm always about the astrology and the energies of the moment and it's so much about like self-making and and Mm. and rise and rising up and rising through and so I'm you know you are an Aries so it was just (laughs) your birth it was just your birthday happy happy belated yay and I'm curious about your journey from birth to now like are there any hot takes or things where you're just like yes I made it through this or to share more with the audience who you are and how you've made it to this point now where you're like kicking ass you know oh that's so sweet gosh there's so much to get into and it's kind of interesting so I mean the book that I'm writing it's a memoir history hybrid so I'm talking about my life just transitioning and in my involvement in the community for me I grew up outside of Chicago in the suburbs on the north side and um, I was dying to get out of the Midwest. <laughs> and I ended up doing my undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And I was like this big Francophile at the time. I don't know why, I was just really good at French in high school. And it's, it's funny when I look back, cause uh, I had a really great teacher who was so supportive and I did not really realize like he was gay, but he wasn't like out necessarily. Mm-hmm. I like mean like- Was he a passing, was he a passing uh, straight man kind of? <laughs> 
he definitely wasn't passing, but I think it was just the Midwest, you know, <laughs> where in, in early 2000s. Uh, but it, it's funny because like the Spanish teacher was out. He was like the sponsor of like GSA and stuff. But um, yeah, but Mr. Lewis, my, my teacher, he was really great and he was so shady and like he would use shade as a way to like keep control in the classroom. And I look back and I'm like, did I like French because I liked French or did I like it because there was a shady queen who was running our classroom? I don't know. Uh, and that clearly speaks to my spirit. So Both and I love it. <laughs> I think shady it's French probably... queen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Either way. Um, yada, yada, yada. I studied abroad in Paris when I was in college. I had a tough time that first round just because, you know, Paris is like New York City. It's a, it's a hustle bustle town. Um, but I went to Berlin and I fell in love. And mm. so I ended up doing a fellowship after I graduated. I was this poli-sci major deep in the Obama hope and change fever of that time. And uh, I really got into studying energy and environmental policy. There's like this wow. okay. butterfly effect of my life. Like there's a there's a different version of my life where I'm like on the executive track at PG&E. Yes. <laughs> like Parallel trying, universe. Yes. Working in utilities. Uh, but yeah, no, I ended up going this other route because when I was in Berlin on a fellowship doing research on energy policy, I always tell the story. It was like flash dance. I was melding policy by day and voguing by night. So, That's so, I, sexy. It's so sexy. I had this Hello. German non-binary pole dancer roommate, Bella, who uh, we were kicking about Paris is burning one day. And then all of a sudden they go, you know, you could take a voguing class here. And I'm just thinking, mm. This is the whitest place on earth. What would Vogue have anything? I know, I'm thinking of Berlin. I'm like, Berlin? Vogue Berlin, class? Vogue, wow. yeah. Well, fun fact, there was this woman, Georgina. Um, she's a St. Laurent today. But back then, she had founded her own house, uh, the House of Melody. And she's mm. this Afro-German woman, dancer, choreographer. And like a lot of dancer choreographers around the world, a lot of folks save up their money. And then they go to New York to take a bunch of classes and, you know, study with a lot of the greats. And she was one of these people who did that. And she kind of fell into the ballroom scene and really loved voguing. And so she wanted wow. to bring it back to Germany. And she started doing these big festivals called Berlin Voguing Out, where they would invite icons, pioneers, legends, people from the community in New York and elsewhere to come teach classes and then also judge for a ball so all the newbies could learn how to do it. And so there's a lot of people around the world who've done some version of this. You see this in Japan, in Chile, Mexico City, Amsterdam, mm. I mean, literally like everywhere. Um, but I took a Vogue class with her and I remember I was really interested in all the hyper feminine stuff that is so hot right now. Mm. Vogue femme, which is like a style of voguing, which most people, if you've seen like YouTube clips of like people doing these incredible spins and dips, that's like what that is. In like but, heels, right? In like heels. Yeah. Oh, heels sure. and yeah, with, for you know, sure. their huge weave and whatnot. But, yes. but the thing is, she did this workshop where she walked us through a lot of the different styles because there are a number of styles of voguing. And there's a more masculine style, which I do called old way performance. Mm. And my body just automatically kind of knew what to do in a way. And she was like, you're, she was like, you're really good at the masculine stuff. And I was like, well, yeah, because <laughs> I was a little butch dyke back then. I was going to ask where you, I was going to ask where you were in the gender journey. Okay. Yeah. On the gender. Dyke. Yeah. I was, uh, I was a little butch, a little, uh, this is so funny looking back too. Cause I was like this little butch dyke. So like in my element, especially Berlin, cause it's super like a queer, I mean, truly queertopia over there, but yeah, um. Yeah. Uh, but somehow, you know, what's so funny, Marvel, I was still trying to prove to myself somehow um, that 
it wasn't that I like, cause I felt somehow that I failed at femininity mm. and I was still trying to like prove that I could do it. And it's mm. like, you know, all of that is the internal, you know, internalized yeah. uh, self-hate from my family and mm-hmm. everyone who was like, oh, Sid, if only you could, if only, it was always if, right? You would be beautiful yeah. if you did your hair, if you mm. put on makeup, if, if, if. Mm. And, uh, and somehow I think that moment of Georgina like freed me from that instead of trying to be something I'm not what if I actually accepted and celebrated what my body was already trying to tell me um yeah it's it's so funny because it's like those small moments you know but um but after that I was hooked I walked a ball in Dusseldorf she threw and as you do and I won grand prize it was like my first time it was like Um. an audience it was, yeah, it was like a best dress audience category. And, you know, and then by that point, mind you, I'd been in Berlin for about two and a half years, uh, was still doing this policy research stuff, but um, I had applied for a master's program. It was a dual degree, urban planning uh, between Paris and London. Mm-hmm. So you do one year in Paris at Sciences Po, this very like elite university in Paris. And then at the second year at the London School of Economics, and uh, I ran into Lysandra Ninja, who's the mother of the scene in Paris. And Lysandra is just Ooh, like- She's already, her name alone. I just got I, shivers, <laughs> chills, okay. I mean, Lysandra, she, yeah, she, she is, she's the real deal. And she's a sweetheart too. And I remember, you know, I told her, I was like, oh, you know, I'm moving to Paris. And she's like, oh, baby, when you're in Paris, tell me, I'll introduce you to the girls. And I was like, okay. Tell me, tell me. So, <laughs> so you know, so I got to Paris, hit her up and boom, I got deep, deep, deep into the scene. Wow. I was invited to be in a house. I was in my first house, the house of Omni. Um, and I was just walking balls and you know, mm. trying to do all this uh, policy stuff on the side. And by the time I got to London, things kind of came to a head where it was funny. I was invited to speak on a panel uh, to talk about Paris's burning. And um, I thought, oh no, what if somebody asked me a question I don't have the answer to? Mm. Um, so I hit up the father of my house at the time, Kevin Omni, who he's one of the old school people who's been in the scene since the seventies. He's based in New Jersey. I thought our conversation would be 30 minutes. It was three hours. And he just told me all this stuff that wasn't written down in Paris is burning. And I was just like, my God, who's writing this down? And so I ended up doing a, my master's, uh, research, my master's thesis on, um, I, it was an oral histories project that I did. Uh, with icons, pioneers, legends of the ballroom scene in New York. Incredible. And Incredible. what I what I did is I asked folks, I said, you know, I, I did my research in New York and I told them, take me to a party in New York City you think is most relevant to the history of the community and tell me about your history within the space. Mm. And so depending on your era of prominence in the community, you would go to different parts of the city. So for example, if you're like Kevin, who's in his late 50s, 60s, it was all about Harlem. But if you were maybe in your 40s, early 50s, it was like Washington Square Park, Christopher mm-hmm. Street, the pier, totally. all of that downtown scene. And um, after finishing that, I had this moment where I was like, oh, no, you know, I have these interviews. What do I do next? And um, a friend was like, oh, you should do a PhD. And so I was like, OK. So I applied to programs, got into a program at Penn, um, which is where I did my undergrad. I did a year of that program, had the worst year of my life, my Saturn return that year. Oh yeah, Saturn return. Mm, Oof, it was, it was very, yeah. very that. Well, I mean, the thing was, I was going into this PhD with all the wrong reasons. Like 
I secretly wanted to write for TV and I wanted to do a more commercial approach to my work, but I just mm. didn't know how. Mm. And I think for me, uh, school was a big survival tool where yes. I was so used to like getting fellowships or internships and, mm. um, but I didn't know how to actually operationalize stuff the way that I wanted to. So that year was like a big pivot. I was doing You were interviews. a true artist, like not, you were an, you're an artist. Like, I mean, not to say that academics and artists can't be two in the same, but mm. there is, there is a delineation between like an academic and an artist in a way. Mm. And so yeah. it's like your artistic side was like, okay, but I want to come out, but I'm, I'm kind of scared. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the fear. It's the, and yeah. I'll be honest, you know, I didn't come from money. And uh, I think if you don't have a trust fund or something, mm -hmm. it is very hard to be a quote unquote artist, whether that's like writing or acting or whatever. Um, so I just didn't know how. And I had to take a big leap of faith, which I'm glad that I did. Because mm -hmm. that year I just started doing informational interviews, hit up alumni, friends of friends, whoever I can get in touch with who worked in the industry. Um, just to figure out, okay, how do I actually do this writing thing if I wanted to be a TV yeah. writer? Um, and so I remember one of my mentors who I adore, Chloe, she's so amazing. She was the one who was like, Sid, you just need self-discipline. Don't go back to school, like save all that money that you would have spent on film school, put it in your yeah. first film. Um, you know, writers write every day, read scripts. There are these diversity fellowships for writers and I applied for one and uh, my work got to the second round and it was a competition for the blacklist and macro. Nice. And that was like my vote of confidence of like, okay, I could do this writing thing. Mm -hmm. So moved back to New York city, barely had any money <laughs> and had to start, start. Yeah. Oh, trust Marvel. And had to start from the proverbial bottom, which really wasn't a bottom. Like I, I, I took a job at Trader Joe's. I always look, look back at this moment, like literally going from, I was this PhD scholar living around mm -hmm. the world to bagging groceries because this is the only gig I can get right away, which, mind you, only lasted for like a month and a half. And then I ended up working at CUNY, which was great for the benefits and everything. But um, the okay. cool thing was 2019, this was the year everything changed for me, mm -hmm. where one, I left my house, they, uh, the house of Ami, they were not supportive around my transition, which was such a bummer. That was a question I had was like, especially I want to talk about trans masculinity in ballroom. We anyway, can continue. We, we yeah. can get into that. We can get, I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Um, but so what happens in the ballroom scene. So when you're in a house, right, that's, that's like the, the people you're repping when you walk categories. But if you're not in a house, you're what we call a 007. And the wow, idea is I that I love that. Oh, that yes. really tickles me. Mm, yeah. Exciting. So if, if you're a 007, it means you're a free agent. And nice. so the, the idea is, you know, it signals to everyone, hey, if you want me in your house, you can solicit or whatever. So that year, a couple of things happened. One, I walked the latex ball, which is the biggest ball in New York City, literally 5,000 people. And I won. Uh, and I made history as the first trans guy to win a voguing category. Um, Sid, at the yes. Ball. Snaps for that. And wow. we can get it, we can get into that too, but it was a very obviously very big emotional moment, something I did not expect. Um, and I also what happened that year was I was trying to figure out what to do with my research. And um, a friend, mentor of mine, Eric Marcus, who does this beautiful podcast called Making Gay History. He's mm. really, really great. Mm. He had done interviews of folks in the gay liberation front in the 90s. Yeah. And this is as people were starting to pass away. And he gave me the advice. He's like, you know, you could keep doing this work and you should actually do a book because then you can do your interviews, write your book. And in the future, if you want to do a podcast, you can do that too. 
Yes. And so it took a meeting with HarperCollins. They loved the concept. They were like, Sid, you should write articles as a way to raise your profile on the topic. Mm-hmm. I wrote um, this op-ed piece in the New York Times, which was about this discussion around realness in the community, mm. um, which realness refers to one of the categories in the ballroom scene where you have either trans or gay or bisexual people who compete in categories that portray cis and straight archetypes of society. So for example, you can have a category like butch queen executive realness. And the idea is if you're a butch queen, which refers to a gay or bisexual cisgendered man, you're portraying like an executive in society. And so, you know, that means you show up in a suit and tie, you maybe have your briefcase and your business cards or whatever. Um, and whoever can pass off that they're most like an executive, they'll win the category. But the question kind of has been permeating the community about whether or not we need these categories anymore, Mm. because especially for trans people, portraying cis people was our way of survival. So we don't get clocked. So we don't get seen as trans because that can mean violence for us. But there's obviously way more high profile trans and gay and bisexual lesbian people in society. So it's this question of like, what is the point of this? Now, obviously there's a lot of reason why we still need it. So yeah. you can go and read the article. Well, and realness feels like, uh, yes, definitely. I didn't read, I haven't read your article yet. So I'm, I need to go do that when we're, when we're done. But realness also, I went and helped um, produce Dear Queer Dancer, which was a, is a documentary on the ball scene here in LA. Mm. Um, the house of, Le, one of the houses of Labeja, I believe. Um, oh, okay. And I went to a, a ball in Compton to help. I was a P, I was PAing. I was just like helping for free. Oh, and nice. it was amazing because real, the realness category was my favorite category to watch. Mm. And I think it's because I like the campiness of heterosexuality and the campiness of cisness. Because exactly. to me, to me, cis, to me, like cisness and heterosexuality as like a pure category, Barbie doll and like Ken. Yeah. Yes. Camp to me. Oh, a hundred percent. Look, it's yeah. all right. Was RuPaul say we're all born naked the rest of drag? I mean, I do yes. think there there's a lot of validity to that. And I mean that's that is kind of the fun of realness is it shows you everything is a gender performance. Yes. It's you know, it's everywhere. Yes. Um, but the cool thing I will say is wrote that article, then the showrunners from this new show called Legendary hit me up. And they were like, hey, we're going to do this show on HBO Max um, and we're looking for writers. It's easier for us to uh, train somebody who's a writer from this world about how to write for unscripted TV rather than the other way around. Would you be interested? So I said yes. We shot season one in Stamford, Connecticut. So I was like doing this crazy commute from Brooklyn. And then we did season two. uh, Like, oh, and I, I should mention, we ended season one literally right when everything closed for the pandemic, March 13th, 2020. And then we shot season two the following year in LA. And uh, around that time, it's kind of wild. Like since then I got repped for my scripted TV writing. I'm repped yes, for APA. Work. Got repped for my book, which uh, I'm at Elise Cheney working with Elise, uh, Alice Whitlam, who's amazing. And um, yeah, and then I ended up getting staffed on a couple of TV shows, worked on The Vanishing Half on HBO, and then I just finished up with Tom Swift at CW, and Incredible. here we are talking with you, Marvel. Yes! Spilling oh, all the yes. tea. All right, yes. I gave you everything. Let's, I, let's go. Let's, let's get into go. it. Let's go. Let's get into it. <laughs> I mean, I'm so impressed by your journey. Not not even like, you know, sometimes the word impressive or like those words can have 
they can be really just like throwing them around. But I'm I'm looking at that and I'm like, you have been on a major journey. I love your Trader Joe's moment because that's that like humbling mm-hmm. moment as right before you rocketed, rocket shipped off. And 100%. I, think, I love that because I've had those moments too where I'm like, okay, this is really humbling and I'm still on my track and I'm going to make yes. it. And so I, I yeah. Marvel, and I got to say that last part, that's the thing I think because a friend of mine really had to coach me through things because I it's an ego death you know we all have to go through that ego death of who you thought you were especially me because I I I was I totally bought into the pomp and circumstance of like Mm. academia in that kind of way and to really know that no no no, you have a goal and you're trying to be a writer you're trying to get staffed it's going to happen for you and you just got to keep putting in the work and yeah. things will, you know, things will come together and they did. So, yeah. An interesting parallel between you and I that I'm now realizing hearing your story is that I also, I went through the depths of academia and I was just mm. telling my partner the other day, like, I, I'm really confident writing a 60 to 80 page literature review. Like, mm. I, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's, Sid, that's a safe place for me. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's the place where I grow or do any of any of my nope. deep, like artistic work. It's just a safe place where I'm like, great, I can just like hide in that hole. And mm. I have made, similar to you, one of the scariest things I did was sort of leaving the vestiges of that, like leaving mm. the, the structure even Mm -hmm. though, right, because it's so structured and you think you're so brilliant and everyone in, everyone, all the academics are going to be rolling their eyes at me right now, but you you think you're so important and you think you're so smart and you believe that you have the answer. And it's like, I think for me, transitioning into Hollywood was such a big, I mean, it was a major shock to my system. Mm. It it doesn't matter how smart I am. Oh yeah. The rules are totally different here, which is really nice. And it's funny you mentioned that too, because I mean, I have so many thoughts about this whole like queer kinship with academia. Like Mm. on the one hand, I look at the history of it and I do think like, it seems like, especially in the eighties, there was a big push, right? Of like, how can we gain legitimacy or institutional power? And I think there was something radical about being queer or, you know, trans in academia. Whereas today, personally, I mean, I see so many young queer trans people suffering because one, these spaces are really, they were never made for us. Yes. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't know. There were so many things that I saw in the PhD where I was like, seeing these professors who were, you know, so elite, we're all at this Ivy League institution, mm-hmm. many of whom were so unhappy and yes. just like not making a lot of money. And I just was like, wait, so even at the end of this, you're not going to be happy and you're going to be poor. I was like, no, (laughs) I was like, I want more for my life than this. Um, And I will say, I do think, especially for a lot of queer students of color, just because we don't have, you know, the resources, so many people were just like, you know, afraid of like, what do I do if I leave this place? Cause this is yeah. the only way I know how to make money. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. I was like, no, 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 I can't do this anymore. Like, I will also say too, that that year of the sad return where everything kind of shifted, that was also the year I had top surgery. Mm, huge, and huge, a huge, huge, huge year. Yeah. yeah. And for me, somehow, I think after top surgery, Marvel, like my body just could not go back to living inauthentically. Like, it just rejected it like and still to this day if something does not sit right with me I have to say thank you no thank you and kind of Mm. keep it moving so I don't know if you felt that with your transition I fully relate to that I don't know what it was 
Yes, I relate to this specifically. It's less the testosterone for me and specifically the top surgery actually mm. was that it, to me like a portal. It's like, you're yes. not going back. You're yes. not going back to wherever yes. it was before. Yeah. Yes, there was a point in a return, 100%. Oh, so cool. Oh my God. Amazing. So let's talk about uh, now. Here we are, 2022. We are trans men in trans masculine folks. So keep it yes. Broad. I go, I go, I use the men thing. Yeah. You could call me a trans man. Okay, great. Me too. I am. And then I'm like, I'm also, I'm very like, ugh, I'm so porous and multivalent. I'm like, I'm a creature and I'm a trans man. And I'm man. <laughs> I don't, I don't do the like Instagram post where I'm like, I am this. It's just, it's always, it's always I, with you know, the, uh, with the little syringe, it's like syringe and a date and a knife yeah, and a date. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I still respect the people who do that. Like do your thing. Yeah. You know, some people are just like, it's not into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yes. So in, in 2022, here we are, trans masculine folks. We are both artists who have left academia's, yes. um, the, the white ivory halls of, of academia. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, where do you find yourself at? What are the things that you're experiencing? You know, how are, especially, I think a lot about a quote from Thomas Page McBee, where he says, mm you know, trans men still as of yet do not exist in the cultural imagination. And that's a deep one. Here we are, Mm. 2022. I'm very excited for Tom Swift because there's this beautiful opportunity, but I want to hear your perspective because you know, we don't have to talk specifically about Tom Swift, but just in general, where do you see us as trans folks, trans men, like creatively? Um, Yeah, what's the Uh. landscape for you right now? So many things, my goodness. I am, uh, I love that. Also, big shout out to Thomas. He's such a great person. Um, And that is definitely something I thought about too, is we don't exist in the imagination. And I think it's kind of this double-edged sword because some of it is just, I think masculinity, the way, you know, that it's perceived in society, it's just a very different beast to like femininity in a certain way. So there's a way that I think we pass sometimes or are kind of even overlooked, but it's tentative at best. I think like when I consider this, you know, we, I feel like we're all doing these like privilege calculations sometimes, <laughs> you it know? It really feels like it's that. like, okay, yeah. if you're black, but then you're rich, but then you're <laughs> trans, it's like, okay, if I crunch the numbers here, I know, right? Like I, I have, I literally, it does feel like this is what we're constantly doing right now of like the woke, the woke Yikes. corner of society yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like for trans men, trans masculine people, it's like a mix of things. Cause I actually see it some, some of it as just like specifically like trans misogyny of like, mm. ultimately for a lot of people, cis people, we are, they see us as women as like 100%. some sort of like deformed version of a woman. So hundred percent, even and, I, like I get it. I get it still. It yeah. still happens like once a month mm. with casting directors where it's like, oh. Oh. or, or, you know, when I interact with like random people um, mm. where they're just like, they're working with me, they find out I'm trans and then they're like, they'll say things that mm. obviously indicate to them that I am like, they're like reducing the genitalia immediately. Mm. Yeah. It's, that... that's fascinating. I'm just like, <sighs> oh, wow. I you know. know. I know. There's a part of me, though, that wonders, you know, will we look back on this time and be like, wow, that happened, you know, like, mm. especially with the crazy legislation and stuff yeah. in Texas and Florida. I'm just like, wow, people are so up in arms about children. This is 
totally bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I see it as a mix of things. Like one, I, th- I think there's just that. And along with that goes like the cascade of sort of who gets access to spaces, who can actually um, speak up in the room or who gets to like actually have a seat at the table. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's like, obviously we need more of us, of course. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I know for me as a TV writer, like, I mean, obviously I, I want to be a showrunner. I want to have my own shows, have my own deal and yes, make lots of really beautiful content that really shows how expansive and incredible and creative and beautiful our community is. Um, but it's going to take time because, yeah. um, you know, this, this, uh, industry still works on this hierarchy and, you know, you have to pay your dues and be in enough rooms to kind of climb the ladder. But I'm glad that I'm at least like in there, you know, because yes. I found out I'm the first black trans man in the WGA. Fun fact. Wow. Um, Another first after your ball, after winning after the first the, category. Yes, I know, which is kind of kooky, but also makes me go like, OK, we need more of us. Right. We yes. need more of us to tell these stories because yes. right now, as things stand, I mean, you and I kind of talked about this before. It's like <laughs> I see a lot of number one I have this running joke with uh, Alex Schmitter where we because we just see a lot of showrunners you know producers people who have trans sons for whatever mm-hmm. reason trans sons yeah. are the building trans in sons are popping out in Hollywood I know I hear like this celebrity has a trans has a trans right yeah. but then the thing that's kind of annoying with a lot of these people is uh you know they try and use that as like some kind of like cultural or social capital uh or like an entitlement to telling our stories instead of letting us actually tell them um and that has been sort of something i've noticed where i'm like huh you know we we have an easier time pointing out that the white person with a token black friend probably should hire black people to tell black stories yet somehow it doesn't calculate to you that you having a trans son or a trans kid doesn't actually entitle you to tell trans stories. Like that's the kind of disconnect that I'm noticing. And it's very hard because I feel like I have to kind of pick and choose my battles because Mm. on the one hand, I feel like I have to get back into that Trader Joe's spirit of like, I'm on a mission. I'm Mm -hmm. here for a very specific purpose and I'm just going to have to like, you know, eat some of this shit first before I can get to the place where I can actually have power and capital to actually change the narrative. Yes. But for now, I'm just going to have to like sit here and listen to you lecture me about God knows what. Um, how many times have I been transplained? How many times have I had to, you know, like kind of bite my tongue while somebody tells me some God awful story about trans people that they believe to be true because of yep. my one friend and i'm just like if yeah. only these people could hear themselves you know yeah. it's just kind of frustrating i yeah I, I recently had my first very like overt transplaining moment in a meeting with the production <clears throat> company and i i really i mean i told you about this earlier i said i just i was beside myself <laughs> i know that you're like you're like oh i've had this happen many many oh months. no but, but it's, it's the first time is is the most you're like Mm. wow this is happening (laughs) i know or actually it's it's interesting you say that too because another thing i've noticed is like sometimes people will put the uh how do i say this they'll have like especially if they're trans actors they'll make the trans actors do the work of the writers of being able to know how to tell a trans story or like whatever specifics you need like it's just that there's like a level of just like unprofessionalism that I see yeah. going around yeah. where obviously trans stories are, we're in the media right now. It's in the news. People want to know more, 
but yeah. somehow you don't want to pay us or even or even yeah. when you do put us in the room you don't want to listen to us like yeah. that's the that's like another thing that i'm noticing is like oh a lot of times i'm noticing with showrunners they'll want you in the room so you can like co-sign their bad ideas you legitimize their bad ideas exactly yeah exactly and if yeah. you don't then you they expect retaliation expect yeah. to not get a job expect like Oof. Yeah, it's it's just really brutal. And I'm, you know, obviously still kind of like trudging this path of like, okay, pay my dues. You know, I the person I always think or there's like a couple people I always think about, like mm. my favorite showrunners. Um, you know, I think a lot about Genji Cohen. I think yes. had like she did like an interview once where she talked because she was like a writer on The Fresh Prince, and I guess mm -hmm. she experienced a lot of anti-Semitism, which is like truly disgusting yeah. and I just think about okay she must have like had to do a lot of protecting herself boundary setting in order to like tunnel through and make one of the greatest tv shows of all time Orange is the New Black and yes. I constantly kind of like try and check in with that spirit of like keep going Sid because you know it, eventually there will be a time for you when things will get better and it may not be right now Yes. It made me, I just want to shout out it, that what you just said about Genji Cohen and Orange is the New Black made me think of a book that my rabbi, speaking of, you, you said anti-Semitism, and I was like, my rabbi mentioned a book called mm. Skin in the Game by mm. Nassim Nicholas Taleb. I just am going to shout that out for everybody because it talks a little bit about the connection between like even racism in the United States and like e extreme like far right folks really coming down on bodies of color and how mm. it's tied in with um, anti-Semitism historically mm. as well within the US. Oh, yeah. So there's this really interesting connection there. Um, and, totally. I, and I hear you, I think it takes a lot of time. We're still in a point, we are still at a point where like our bodies, Sid, like you and I, our bodies and all other trans bodies, we are currently like a political wedge issue right now. Mm, yes. Like we are being used and jockeyed to separate right from left and garner votes on exactly. like single topic voters, mm. single issue voters. So that's a heavy, I mean, it's a heavy thing to be navigating. And even though you and I live in a like quote unquote liberal utopia, Los Angeles, which oh, mm. is a dy <laughs> dystopia a lot of the time. Um, I mean, I, I love I the know. palm trees, but. Uh, <laughs> Even though we're living in this liberal hub, it mm. is really interesting to me on a, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use this phrase, on like a sort of subtle psychic level, even mm. with some of the most liberal educated folks I've met in the industry here, I can still sense this subtle mm. psychic transphobia that's not, oh, yeah. it's not hatred. It's not even malicious. It's just this like subtle discomfort where they're still trying to wrap the, their brain around the ramifications of what our identity means for them. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that 100%, I, you nailed it on the head. To me, this is what the phobia part actually refers to because the fear, and I love that you said this because I experienced this not only in my PhD program with professors and students, uh, but also I've experienced this in the room sometimes uh, with producer EPs where the fear is, what if a trans person is funnier than I am? What if a trans person is smarter than I am? What if you have your shit together and actually you're, you're more ambitious than I am? And I, that is truly the fear that I, and I have gotten the violence of that too, mm -hmm. which is just truly, utterly disgusting. And 
it's infuriating because I, and I think what also hurts is that I see it a lot from people who you would think should be our allies, yes. w- women of color, yeah. um, gay cis men I've who should know better. I've cis men a lot. Yeah. Of course, you know, yeah. the, so many yeah. of them are so steeped in toxic masculinity. Not everybody is actually doing the work. Yeah. And I think what has been surprising for me is like, you know, my family always taught me to be humble. Obviously, I've been given a lot of educational privilege for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so many opportunities, you know, and you work for cuts. them too, though. You work for them too. Maybe I, I definitely work for them, yeah. darling. So yeah. don't sleep. Okay. Yeah. Like I grew up in the suburbs, but not the, not the very nice one. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. um, but I will say like, I was, you know, just being so surprised at just the way so many people had limiting views of me because they had limiting views of themselves. Yes. And then when I show up as my full and authentic self, and I'm curious and I'm smart and I'm affable and funny. There are so many people who cannot take that because mm. they they see you and they think like, oh, I thought trans was sad, downtrodden, pathetic, whatever. Somebody who feels bad about themselves 24-7 because that's all I've been given in the media. Yes. Um, and then I show up and I'm just like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. um, so yeah, I think I think we need to talk more. Uh, concretely about what the phobia of transphobia is, is. Yes. because it it is that fear and it is that visceral thing that I think no one has really been able to name yet. You yes. know what I mean? And you know what? It makes me think of something that the brilliant, incredible Janaea Khan just recently said at um, a performance that I did. Janaea Khan is an amazing activist mm. um, and model and just beautiful human being inside and out. Um, Janaya Khan said at a performance we just did, you know, the thing that trans folks did collectively for society was say to everybody, you can make, you can be a, you can be yourself, you mm-hmm. can create yourself. Mm. And there, there isn't necessarily any hard and fast rules mm. and, and giving, and basically trans people are giving permission to collective society. You can choose how yes. you want to be. Mm. And it's, we're not saying you have to do X, Y, and Z. That's right. that's not what our community is doing. Our community is saying like, look, we were given some, I was thinking just like gender today at the gym. I was like, gender is a lot like the binary system, male, female is just a lot like apples and oranges. And like, what if I want a goddamn banana? Like that's, <laughs> that's what trans, it's so simple, but I'm like, it let's keep true. it simple. Like it that's true. what Janaea was saying. Like we've given people permission to create themselves in a right. very different way, in a, or right. just an expansive way. Yeah, it's that possibility model. And yeah. it's, it, I'm glad you said that too, because I mean, for me, ballroom was that possibility model for me as a trans person. Yes. When I saw trans men in that community, that, and I saw number one, that they're beautiful. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so many of them, you know, just have so many interesting things going on. I was like, oh, wow, there's a version of my life that's possible. Yes. Um, and of course, for cis straight people, that can be incredibly intimidating. Um, because again, it's somebody who decided to take control of their lives unapologetically. And if you're comparing yourself to that, you know, the good side of it is people who feel inspired and just live their lives freely. Mm -hmm. And of course, we also get the bad side of that, which is somebody who's having their own internal struggle and tries to externalize it by enacting violence on us. 
And you said something in earlier and that was very interesting to me that it is true that they, I think that what's happening right now, and it's going to take time to move beyond this, but what's happening right now when they meet someone like you or like me, who are just mm -hmm. really dynamic, and often I'm just like a happy person, mm -hmm. but I think we've had to wrestle with our masculinity so much and our femininity, mm -hmm. we've had to wrestle with our gender for so mm -hmm. long that when they meet us, whatever work they haven't done around their gender that, that, that they've either accepted or just repressed, it is so apparent to them. It becomes mm. so reflected for them. And they're like, no, I want the dimensionality of what I thought you were, which mm. is, which is the coming out story, which is the, mm. um, you know, like the boys don't cry, whatever they yeah, think the sad, about us. Pathetic, yes. Literally, I was in a writer's room where uh, EPs were trying to convince me that actually, Sid, it's unrealistic for me to think that a trans person could be ambitious or successful, that actually being depressed and downtrodden is true to a trans experience and these are cis people who are trying to transplain me this and I just was like I cannot even believe I'm in this room right now <laughs> like you literally hired me for this job for my perspective and instead you want to convince me of otherwise okay like yeah sure like, <laughs> exactly well, and what do you do in those moments just like I want to know I mean I'm very woo woo so I'm like what do you even do on like a on an emotional level for you. Like, I'm, I'm just like, how is he doing this? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the right thing to do is, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I find this really hard because this is actually something I'm kind of like navigating right now is yeah. like, okay, even, you know, another job that my agent sent me, it's like, Sid, do you want to be the token trans voice in the room again? And mm. do you want to go through this like emotional labor of, you know, having to like correct things and deal with that uphill battle of very egocentric showrunners who think very highly of themselves having to be corrected by a staff writer, you know, somebody who they view as less than not only for the level of your job, but then God only knows how you think about me as a trans person and yeah. as a black trans person at that. So yeah, I don't know. I find it really difficult. Um, for me, the thing is when I look at, you know, we know media has enormous impact yes. on how we see the world. That's so, why we're here. That's why exactly. we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And, um, and you know, I don't think uh, a lot of these cis folks really get it because to them, they're just like, okay, I'm just doing a show whatever, get my name on it, get my little check, whatever. Mm -hmm. They don't really understand like, no, the way that you're gonna portray this trans character will have lasting effects on Huge. everybody, the production, the actor himself, the, you know, everybody in the writer's room and then beyond everybody who watches, right? Cause like every time there is a trans character we talk about it, right? Yes. We, we've been talking for God knows how long we've been talking about Che Diaz. Well, and then also, and then also like, <laughs> you know? and then also like, think about those. I'm thinking about you now, like the, I'm thinking about the trans mask folks in the Midwest, young right. kids right now, right. 14, 15 year old trans mask kids exactly. in the Midwest, in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I'm from. They mm. will cling to that character. They will 100%. cling to that character. 100%. And we want that character to be great. Obviously, characters can be have nuance. We don't yeah. all have to be superheroes. Yeah. But um, we don't have to play into stereotypes because that's all you know, you know? So, um, yeah, I find it kind of difficult. I mean, my I try, and, I try to mitigate harm. That is mm -hmm. my big thing. Mm -hmm. And I obviously try and give, you know, alternatives, solves. That's, like, the best thing. I mean, the last thing you want to do is 
go into some production and, you know, be Mr. Negative Nancy and just like, you know, say everything is wrong. You should be giving alternatives, which I do. Um, but yeah, it's something I'm still trying to navigate about how much, you know, when, when do I want to speak up? When is it okay to kind of let things go, um, and kind of move from there. But it's, I'll say this, it's still something I'm trying to sort through for myself. Um, obviously I, I want there to be more trans folks who are in that position of creator or showrunner. So I don't have to deal with these issues ever again. Um, but it will take some time for sure. Yeah. We're pushing, but it is going to take time. And my mother has a phrase um, called creative maladjustment, mm. which is it's not her phrase, but she's given it to me. She's passed along this phrase to me, creative maladjustment, which is when you're working in a system that you know has hierarchies, mm. uh, has very strict hierarchies, is dealing a lot with power and privilege and you want to create change. You want to, mm. you want to create some sort of change within that system that loosens things up or allows access for more people creative maladjustment is the idea that you creatively through what you just said, which is offering sort of like solutions and also mm. like what, what my partner does so well, which is like hiring other trans and queer folks as, mm-hmm. as soon as possible, as quickly as possible um, to sort of create like a little, um, like a, a glitch in the code. Like you're adding, mm. you're like adding extra things in the code where you're like, I'm not going to destroy the system right now or mm. say no to the system. I'm going to be inside of it and maladjust mm. within it creatively, smartly, mm. like intelligently, um, which is always helpful. It's like, what are the little things you can do to sort of change the larger structure mm. and snowball effect? Yeah. Effect. Yeah. I think definitely, yeah. Having those conversations, it, yeah. it's it's a work in progress for sure yeah Yeah. um what are some things to maybe flip it what are some things that are or projects or people or work that you're interested in that's inspiring you right now that's helping you like what is the fuel for your fire where you're like these are the things that help keep me going apart from oh fuel fire (laughs) there's so many things I mean, I think I see some of the changes that are happening around us in the industry, if we're talking about Hollywood specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, the fact that like Elliot Page is doing such amazing work and producing yes. great material with uh, Page Boy is I'm really so exciting. excited for Page Boy. Oh, so I know. And I'm just so, we're so lucky that Elliot Page is like the poster child for us right now. Like, I agree. I'm, I'm glad we didn't get a Caitlyn Jenner. We right? didn't like get Caitlyn. I almost we... didn't say it. <laughs> I almost like, didn't say it. I mean, we can say it. Like, yeah. we got so lucky that Elliot Page not only has been an activist for like however long, but mm-hmm. like is just so truly sweet. phenomenal. They're right? a darling. We a darling. share a birthday, Sid. We share. Oh a no birthday. way! Yeah, oh same wait, day. When's, your, when's your birthday? Elliot and I are born February twenty first. Oh. Live. Wait, does that make you what? Like a Pisces? Oh, Elliot, Elliot and I are like Pisces Aquarius cusps. Oh, like, I we're, love it. We're we're sweet and spicy. I'm sure uh, there's some spicy in there that we you know, <laughs> will discover at some point. Oh, I love this. Yay, trans trans boy Pisces energy. I'm here for it. The yes. fire loves the water, and so yes. I'm here for that. And I love my Aries. I feel. Like <laughs> you. I totally do. Um. Yeah. No. I see. You know, things like that. I saw Tori Peters is developing the transition baby. That book was like, come on, so next level. I like literally reading that book, Monika, like, yes, Sid, you can say whatever you need to say. Cause yes. I just feel like she was so forthcoming. And, you know, I, there were so many ways that also she saw transness that 
like I just didn't have the language for it. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Yes. Amen. Um, so, you know, I see people producing an uh, incredible work. Um, also, you know, just other people have been so inspiring people like Issa Rae or Lena Waithe and, um, you know, Donald Glover, just like, it's possible. It takes time. It takes hard work. Um, but it's possible. And I also think just all the trans folks in Hollywood, you know, like so many people I know, like, I love LA. I moved here, what, like during the pandemic 2020. Um, and thank you. And I felt like I had community and family already here just because I knew so many folks in industry who are killing it. And that makes me really excited because I I always think about the stories about, you know, how, um, you know, like George Lucas is like friends with uh, Steven Spielberg and how they support each other in their projects. And that's kind of how I see myself with all of my friends who are trans and who are, you know, we're all in trying to gain more power collectively. And I just see us like that where it's like, okay, we're in that early stage of building, Mm -hmm. but you know, give us like five years, 10 years, you're going to see some really big, big stuff blown up. Big movement. In every pitch that I do for the properties that um, Jonathan Culleton and I are working on, in almost every pitch to production companies, I will usually use the probably off-brand metaphor of like building Dumbledore's army. In oh. this, I always, I'm like, I mean, I don't always use that phrase because John's like, don't bring up JK, don't bring up JK Rowling. I know. Uh, Emma, Watson's, Emma Watson's got our backs, but um, I love <laughs> her. She's so sassy. She just did a speech. She just did a speech at the, I think the BAFTA awards. Where oh. she was like, she's so cute. She's like, I support all witches. And she like looked at the camera and you're like, Ooh. okay, we know what she means by all witches. Okay. Gotcha, okay. Gotcha, uh, that's the new t-shirt for pride this year. All yeah. witches. All witches. <laughs> all witches. <laughs> She looked right at camera. I love her. I love. Um, she's like, JK, I'm looking at you. <laughs> but I use the Dumbledore, Dumbledore's army metaphor in the sense that like we are, you know, we, we know you just said something so beautifully. You were like, some of these folks in Hollywood are just like into their ego and getting a paycheck. But trans mm. folks, us trans folks in Hollywood, I think most of us actually mm. are like, no, this is activism. This yes. is, we are working for our, like we are working for our people. I don't mean that lightly. So yes. like, oh I'm, yeah. We are working to be seen. I don't want anyone, like, I, this is going to be my soapbox for a moment. I don't want anyone to only have Shane from the L word as a person that they could have connected to on a pop mm. cultural level. That's what I have. Mm. I am not Shane from the L word, but that was mm. the only thing my 14 year old self had. Oh my God, I love this sidebar because I was all about that porter. I heavily yes. identified. So I'm with you, but sorry, keep going. Yes. <laughs> oh, Beth Porter. Oh, don't, I know. Oh don't even God. get me started, Jennifer Beals. Anyway, Jennifer yes, but I'm with you. We need, oh. but we need those cultural references. I, I've had this conversation with other folks too, so I'm with you. Yeah, we don't have that person, yeah. which yeah. which kind of sucks. And I'm, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I clung to Shane. I, sh- I clung to Kate Maddig, who played Shane mm. on The L Word. And I clung to Sam Ronson, who dated Lindsay Lohan. Like, th- oh. those are, I mean, that's it. That's what I oh. had. And I I want more for folks coming behind us. Like, I want more for younger folks. I want more mm. for all folks. Just yeah. more options and, like, dimensional characters. The thing I love about mm. some of the shows you're writing on is that I finally read a character. I read a transmasculine character but for Tom Swift, that was like dimensional. There was a dimensionality to him. I mean, I don't know where he's at right now. You know better than I do. But like, just when I read the initial stuff, I was like, oh, this isn't about him being didactically trans. It wasn't about him coming out and having right. a sad time. Right. Like, <laughs> he has desires. He has multivalent desires. Like, mm. 
really exciting that that's beginning. There's a spark and we just are going to keep pushing that flame forward. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. We need, we definitely, definitely need more. And I think, you know, you nailed it. I'm just like, I think maybe it's also a question of like more of us being in the spotlight, also telling our own stories. Like I love the fact that you have your own podcast Again, if people wanted to listen, you can actually hear how we think and see the world and you don't have to make up stuff in mm-hmm. our stead. Like, you know, just pass the mic. I think that's the biggest thing I've always learned. If something is not, you know, your identity or your experience, like just pass the mic and let somebody else, you know, say say what needs to be said so we can all learn something, you know? Yes. We're only here on this planet for so long. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sid. Oh my gosh, that was good. That was a nice, like, piggyback off that I my last thing for you is is there anything that you want to share with the audience in terms of what you're working on or how they can check you out or connect with you on the socials or whatever I mean what are what are you really excited about in your realm of creativity right now um well I'm super excited I'm finishing up this book proposal my plan is to sell this book by May Alice and I are kind of like we're still going at it which is exciting and this is the history of ball culture in Paris correct well, it's actually the history of ballroom in New York. Oh, New York. Okay. Um, so I tell my story of how I got into the scene, all the stuff I told you, my, you know, Berlin and Dusseldorf mm-hmm. and Paris and London, and New York and so Amazing. on. And I tell my story of like how I transitioned and also just sort of became to know myself a lot better through being in this community. But I'll also walk folks through like, okay, where does this stuff even come from? Like, mm. you'd be surprised that uh, <laughs> a show like The Gilded Age has more to do with ballroom <laughs> than a lot of other things. If you notice how that show, they're always trying to go to balls. And like, yes. that is actually like part of the origin story of wow. ballroom culture. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot there I'm excited about. Um, I'm also looking to get staffed. I'm very excited to sort of see what other shows are out there where I can learn some more. Um, and yeah, you know, I have this new pilot out, A Phenomenal Man, which tells that really cool story of a trans guy, you know, making his way to the top in the ballroom scene. And yes. um, I'm pumped because my agent is like taking that out right now. So it's like, ooh, we'll see. We'll see who it vibes with. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, just getting to know really dope folks. Oh, people can find me. Um, usually Instagram, I'm a lot better than Twitter, but either one, it's at Sydney Blue, my name. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. Amazing. How do you spell your name for all the folks out there? Oh, sure. It's uh, S-Y-D-N-E-Y-B-A-L-O-U-E. Oh, yeah. Sydney Ballou. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for your time and for sharing everything. This was delightful for me. So mm, likewise. Thank again. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Such a pleasure. Such Yay. a pleasure. Yay. Thank you, Sid. All right, folks. Well, you will catch me next week on the World of Rex. Thank you for Sydney Ballou giving his time and presence here and uh, catch you on the flip side. Bye.